calling all stations. Clear the air lanes. Clear all air lanes for the big broadcast. Hey, everybody. Happy June. I hope it's happy for you, and I hope it'll be happy for me and for everybody listening. This is episode number 37 of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. And with you, as always, is uh, Sean, your host. And the topic of this episode will be Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater, a brand new homebrew from... Clark Otto Jr., also known as Frank O'Dragon on Atari Age. And before I get to that, of course, I have to do the typical podcast pre-topic, horsing around, just babbling about nothing in particular. I guess I should start with uh, some kind of gaming stuff. And honestly, not much to talk about yet again, because, well, I've just been kind of occupied lately, haven't really had a chance, Uh, although... I have been actively learning 7800 basics, so who knows? Maybe there will be a homebrew from me. Well, I really hope there will be. I've been hoping to do one for quite a while. I've already changed my mind as to what I'm going to do, but uh, I will keep you abreast as uh, my progress is made. Right now, my stumbling block is I need to have 28 random numbers. And the thing is, the random number generator in 7800 basic is very limited. It's just a command that says rand, and it'll just pull a, well, it's not quite random. Like if you generate 28 random numbers, you're going to get some duplicates and you're going to see there's a pattern to how they're generated. So it helps to periodically seed the generator. And of course, I don't know if it's ever going to be truly random, but my stumbling block is I need 28 random numbers between 0 and 207. And the random number generator in Atari Basic gives you up until 255. And I'm trying to figure out how do I get 28 unique random numbers that are lower than 207. I have a couple of ideas in mind, but uh, I've tried a couple of things, found that I'm just having a really hard time doing both at the same time. I can do one at a time. I can check and make sure that all the numbers are unique but I can't make sure that they're all under 208. I can make sure that they're all under 208, but if I do that, then I can't make sure that they're all unique. So I'm trying to figure out a way. There's got to be a way around that. I know there has to be. If I have to resort to kind of a, in a way, a bubble sort, then so be it. But uh, hey, I'm going to give it a shot. And if anybody listening has been doing any Atari 7800 basic and knows a good way around this, hey, shoot me an email at homebrew78 at fab4it.com. Oh, by the way, I did get some feedback from Charles Gray, who is the author of not one, but two of the, well, the two book carts that have been discussed in this podcast, uh, the E.T. book cart and the journey of snail. And something interesting he shared with me is he, he was a little bit concerned because he heard me talk about how the text is white against a green background. He said that it's supposed to be black against a green background because uh, the white text indicates that it's an earlier ROM. And he was hoping that I didn't accidentally get a earlier version of the ROM burned to my cart. 
But then you checked around, and I think it was Gambler172 who said that the text is white on one of his TV sets, but black on the other. I don't know how that works, quite honestly. Personally, I prefer the white on green over black on green. I think it's a much better contrast, much easier to read. But that's just this guy's opinion. I don't know. It might also have to do with the TV set, for all I know. And I might have mentioned this, but I don't use a CRT TV on my 7800. I use a uh, modern one. Partly because, well, I'm not going to go out of my way just to have an old TV because that's the way the developers intended it. No, it's not the way they intended it. They developed it for the technology they had at the time. But, hey, and I'm not going to go out of my way to look for a bulky, heavy TV set when I have a perfectly working one right here that has no lag and that's apparently a big complaint with people using modern TVs to uh, play video games with is that uh, old consoles on modern TVs tend to have a lag. Well, the two modern TVs that I've used my 7800 with, no noticeable lag whatsoever. I've set world I have literally set world records on my HD TVs, so yeah, I guess is the best way to approach that. Oh, one other thing I wanted to address. I told the exciting story about my bone spur in the previous episode, and I left out one important detail. I mentioned how the orthopedic surgeon I was sent to had me order these inserts for my shoes that cost $30 each, one per shoe. When I went to the New Balance store to get my to get my uh, new shoes, they sold me the same exact inserts. Mine were wearing down, and I needed two more. It turns out they had them. The exact same, the same make, the same model, the same everything, $15 for the pair. 15 for the pair. I said, are you kidding me? Only 15 bucks? And the woman who checked me out, she said, yeah, you'd be surprised at how cheap our prices can be on some things. But hey, that was pretty cool. But hey, as you can tell, I'm a little bit congested. I don't know what I have. I don't know if it's allergies or if I have some kind of a cold or what. But it is what it is. That's all there is to it. Oh. It's been bothering me all weekend. It's uh, We just had Memorial Day weekend as I record this. It's Tuesday morning, actually. I'm just about to leave for work. So I, I dealt with this whatever I have all weekend. But it didn't stop me. I mentioned before, I think. I did, it didn't stop me from doing Bike the Drive, which is an annual thing that the Active Transportation Alliance holds in which... The Sunday of Memorial Day weekend from about 5.30 a.m. to about 10-ish a.m., they closed down Lakeshore Drive, which is the big expressway along Lake Michigan. Well, there's there are two Lakeshore Drives. There's Inner Lakeshore Drive and Outer Lakeshore Drive, and Outer Lakeshore Drive is the expressway. They closed that down to motor vehicles and let people with bikes, well, and, and from what I could tell, trikes as well, right up and down most of the length of well i don't even know if it was most of it because the two ends of bike the drive were roughly hollywood avenue which is where lakeshore drive ends and starts on the north side but goes down to the museum of science and industry which is at 57th street on the south side but i think lakeshore drive goes down to like 71st street so it was a good like 15 ish blocks before the end of the drive but still they open it up to bike traffic, and you had to pay 50 bucks, and the money goes straight to the Active Transportation Alliance, uh, which is an organization that I believe is meant to make transportation of all kinds easier and safer for people. 
and they have a special emphasis on bicycling. And I always wanted to do that, but every time it happened, my wife and I were out of town for the weekend. Last year, for example, we just did a weekend getaway in New Buffalo, Michigan. The year before that, we went to Abbey Road on the River, which is a a Beatles festival that happens, uh, well, now it happens across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. So we decided we weren't going to be doing anything this weekend. We just wanted to veg out. So I was like, you know what? I'm signing up for Bike to Drive. And they offered a little thing called the 30-mile challenge, which I don't think was anything prize-worthy. I don't think there was a prize or anything. All they would do is give you a bib you attached to the back of your shirt that said 30-mile challenge, which meant that you were going to do the entire length of bike to drive in both directions. And I said, you know what? I, I Let me do that. It's the only other time I ever did 30 miles was when I basically gumped myself across the city of Chicago to a bike trail that goes into the suburbs. I kept, I just kept thinking, you know what, since I made it this far, let me go a little bit further. And when I got back home that time, I saw that I was at like 29.6 miles. So I was like, you know what, I could do 30. So I just rode around the block a couple of times and boosted it to 30. And I, I was able to do it then because first of all, it was November. It was the Sunday after the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. And God, that still feels weird saying that. But it was a nice day out and it was cool out. So I was able to do that. Plus, it was going through city streets. So there was a lot of stop and go. But Lakeshore Drive is no stop and go for bike to drive. You just keep going. There are some stopping points. Of course, there, there was a rest stop at each of the ends of bike to drive. One at Bryn Mawr Avenue in the north side. One at the Museum of Science and Industry in the south side. And one at Grant Park in the middle. And not only the, well, Grant Park was pretty much the headquarters. It was the official starting point, but I didn't want to go all the way down there. I just started where I live. So, so yeah, I did. And the weather was supposed to be hot in the nineties and it was in the nineties all weekend. So what I did was I packed a whole emergency kit that included a replacement tube in case I had a blowout. I had a um, emergency repair kit that had a couple of canisters of carbon dioxide. Well, still has a couple of canisters of carbon dioxide and uh, a patch kit and everything so I can repair quickly. Well, theoretically quickly. <laughs> I'm, I'm not fast with this kind of stuff. So I can repair a, a tire if, if I need to. Uh, I had a bottle of Hawaiian Tropic with me. There's a plug for you guys. Hawaiian Tropic, sponsor this podcast. I had not one, but two Video cameras that mount to the handlebars, uh, Ion Air Pro cameras. You can get those pretty cheap on eBay if you keep your eyes open and you get like you can get those for like twenty five bucks. So I had two of those on me, each with an empty thirty two gig micro SD card, and I never go out on my bike without one of those. Quite simply because either a you never know if I might need evidence. So far, thank God I haven't. Or b I might see something really really cool. So that way I keep it for posterity. And to a lesser extent, C, I like to post bike shaming videos of other cyclists who uh, basically make life torture for people like me who obey safety regulations. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. But I had all of that in this little thing that I attached to the rack in the back of my bike. I filled up a, a bottle with Gatorade and put it in the freezer overnight so it was frozen solid when I left for bike the drive. Now, when I biked home from work on Friday, I got a bottle of water from Walgreens and fro uh, Walgreens, uh, you may also sponsor this podcast. Uh, I froze the water bottle 
It was frozen solid like a brick. And by the time I got home, 45 minutes later, it was warm liquid. But I got to say, the Gatorade bottle held up pretty well. Pretty well, It was still at least 50% frozen when I got to the Grant Park checkpoint on the way down. But it was really, really cool to do that. I mean, yeah, if you've ever driven down Lakeshore Drive, it's like, yeah, I've driven down Lakeshore Drive. What's the difference? You're just in a bike. It's a huge difference, let me tell you. When you're in a bike, you have a much wider view. You know, you pretty much don't have any blind spots, and everything looks so much bigger. It looks really, really cool. Oh, God, especially coming back from the Museum of Science and Industry. Let me tell you something. Chicago has the greatest skyline ever, ever, ever. And it's especially amazing coming back from the Museum of Science and Industry up Lakeshore Drive. It looks fantastic. And people were pulling over to take pictures of it from there. Uh, I got some of it on video, but it doesn't do it justice. But long story short, by the time I got back up north doing the round trip, I had actually done 31 miles because I started from my home. And that probably added a little bit close to a mile to my trip. So I got to 31.8 miles, I think, when I was totally done with it. And I thought, you know what? I still feel okay. Uh, I, I kept oiling up with the Hawaiian Tropic. I refilled my water bottle at all the checkpoints, and I kept myself hydrated. I figured, you know what? I might as well make it 40. So I drove around the city for a little bit, just uh, up on the far north side, and I got bored, number one, because whenever I go on, a, whenever I go take a bike ride on the weekends, I usually take the same way. And I was like, yeah, this is boring. And on the, and number two, I was okay during bike the drive because there was a nice lake breeze, especially around uh, North Avenue Beach, which is one of the most popular, be- probably the most popular beach in Chicago. There's a really cool breeze right off there. And I felt fine the whole way up and down because of that expression cooler by the lake but once i started riding around the city streets i wasn't near the lake and i was starting to feel that 93 degree heat so i dragged up all the willpower that i could and made it to like 40.04 something miles so that was a pretty big accomplishment for me i I, i'd only done 30 miles once this time i did 40 I'm going to see if I can just keep up doing some kind of huge ride like this as frequently as I can, like early in the morning on a Saturday, perhaps just see if I can keep it up, lose a little bit more weight, if not a lot more weight, but Hey, that's how, that's how life has been for me recently. And I'm going to shut up and let's talk about the new game, Lava Lamps and Eight Track Theater. I'm going to have to confess that I'm not really sure how the main segment of this episode is going to go. It's going to be very unusual, given the nature of this homebrew. But once again, it is called Lava Lamps in 8-Track Theater. And it is done by Clark Otto Jr., who on Atari Age goes by Franco Dragon. He is the developer behind other homebrews, such as Fat Axel Hardy Man Slapper, which is yet to be covered in this podcast. That will be in the future, of course. And, of course, my personal favorite of all of his games, Roof Pooper. But before I get into the game itself, I need to talk a little bit about where the inspiration for this game comes from. And I apologize for the dangling preposition. 
Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater is based on a radio show hosted by Isabella Ancuna, better known as DJ Nurse Annabella. And if you're on Atari age, she goes by the handle LushGirl underscore 80. And where can you hear Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater? Well, it is in the Bay Area here in the U.S., actually, just outside of San Francisco. The manual in the game says that it is on Free Radio Santa Cruz 101.3 FM and KXSF 102.5 FM. I did go to the KXSF website, and I did not see Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater on the program guide but it's definitely on the free radio Santa Cruz guide. And I think the first thing I want to talk about is actually free radio Santa Cruz, because it's just such a fascinating topic for me when I did the research. First thing I did was I was like, okay, now what's their um, call sign? Is it K? It's got to be K something, 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 because it's on uh, the West Coast in Santa Cruz, California. Nope. There's no call sign because it is an unlicensed radio station. It is a pirate radio station, if you will. It used to be at 101.1 megahertz, and before that it was at 96.3 megahertz, and before that it was at 89.3 megahertz on the FM dial. And that's the story of pirate radio, pretty much. You gotta keep changing your frequency as uh, the FCC keeps getting on to you, I guess. But it is this now. This just kills me here. It's a 200 watt station. The radio station I was on in college, the college radio station where I went, was only 50 watts. <laughs> but from what I gather, Free Radio Santa Cruz, their whole deal is basically sticking it to the FCC and letting the people control the airwaves rather than the federal government controlling the airwaves. And it's a very popular station at that, including by the city of Santa Cruz. From what I can tell, there have been two city proclamations honoring Free Radio Santa Cruz. Now, when your own city government acknowledges your pirate radio station, you must be doing something right. If you go to the Free Radio Santa Cruz website, which I will link in the show notes, it's uh, freakradio.org, by the way, and you can listen online. There's a huge variety of programming and no big surprise, a station like this, they carry the Democracy Now! show. I, I never really listened to that show, but I know of at least two other kind of freeform radio stations that carry it, and this is no shock to see that R Free Radio Santa Cruz carries it. I did some recent... And the thing is, radio stations are not cheap to run. I think you need something like, at the very least, a million dollars to run a radio station. And uh, Free Radio Santa Cruz is supported by donations, like everything I think is donated. So that's, that's what helps. And of course, because, uh, they are technically in huge violation of federal regulations, free radio Santa Cruz was raided on September 29th, 2004, a radio station, a citizen run radio station was raided by the FCC with federal marshals that were armed with assault rifles and they were all wearing riot gear. There were no arrests, but the station was shut down, and pretty much everything in the station was gone. It was taken away in trucks, and it never returned. All the CDs were taken, the transmitter was taken, the mixing boards, the microphones. They even climbed up a tree to get the broadcast antenna. They found that, they found that it was in a tree somewhere, as uh, it's actually pretty typical of a pirate station, for what I understand. 
more than 50 area residents showed up on the scene to protest the shutdown. But you know what? Free Radio Santa Cruz went back on broadcasting over the internet only at first, but they shortly later went back on the air full time, and they've been on the air ever since. And uh, just to give you an idea of what's on the schedule, uh, let's see, they have uh, Al Jazeera News um, in the weekday mornings, which, again, that's that also is no surprise. This kind of uh, station would have uh, Al Jazeera, which many feel is one of the most unbiased news stations ever. Uh, let's see, um, going through, uh, there's LGBT news on uh, Monday mornings, uh, uh, Voces de Libertad on uh, Tuesdays uh, at 10, Maximum Rock and Roll, actually that's on a couple of times, Voices of the Middle East and North Africa, Resistance Radio, Symphony on the Corner, Earth First Update, uh, gee, I think this is a left-leaning station. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Bathrobes Pierre's Broadsides with Robert Norse. That sounds, uh, interesting. Alternative Radio with David Barsamian. The Mind's Ear with Ernestist Jiminy Chald, an oral observatory of the unforeheard. Our Duck Show Live, improvised electronic music. Uh, this is the kind of stuff you'll hear. And, of course, on Sundays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m., Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater with DJ Nurse Annabella. <laughs> so who is DJ Nurse Annabella? Well, like I said a few minutes ago, she is Isabella Acuna, and uh, she's from San Francisco. No surprise, given uh, the location of her radio show. I think her big thing is actually comic book illustration. And you can see a lot of her work on her blog. I think it's her blog. I will link in that. Basically, anything I can find directly tied to DJ Nurse Annabella, I'm linking in the show notes. Now, according to her IMDb entry, she is a comic book illustrator, a musician, an actress, a writer, a director. Now, it says here, the first DJ in history to play video game sounds on the FM airwaves. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I am not denying that but i'm also not accepting that i given that her show started in 2013 i kind of find that hard to believe maybe live video game sounds because i do believe part of her show involves literally like playing video games on the air it says here she's an accomplished radio mixer and celebrity interviewer known for creating the first video game in history based on a radio program uh, i believe that's the one we're talking about now here Born to a Filipino mother and Caucasian father, but raised by Argentinian grandparents, Isabella Acuna is a dedicated artist of many mediums and has a vast knowledge of TV and film history to boot. That last part, that is not a huge surprise at all. And uh, as I talk more about her show, you'll understand why. And uh, let's see, the trademark section in her IMDb bio says, uh, imitates Gilda Radner during podcasts. Has a penchant for wearing fishnets and backseam stockings, brightly colored hair, plays video game noises during her radio broadcasts. And let's see, uh, trivia. Oh, this is perfect. Aired her first radio show on April 20th, 2013, 4:20, And uh, that will be obvious as to why that is significant uh, later on in this segment. Let's see, it also says, is known to have a very rare and expensive 8-track tape collection. Haha, <laughs> hence 8-track uh, theater. With the Ghostbusters 1984 soundtrack being among the most rare gems in her collection, which I can totally understand. Yeah, basically any 8-track after, say, 1981 is going to be pretty rare. 
also an indie comic book artist publisher, releasing her first comic book entitled Hikikomori Nation in April 2018. Ooh, I'm going to see if I can find that and link it in the show notes, of course. Bought her first DJ turntable mixer set at the age of 15. Comedian Tommy Chong was the first ever guest on her show. Hi, Tommy. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Really great. Welcome to Lava Rams and A-Track Theater. One of her all-time favorite music groups is Black Sabbath, even personally meeting lead singer Ozzy Osbourne on several occasions and even interviewing three of the band members. Wow. Once lived in room 202 at the famed historical Bristol Hotel in San Francisco where famed Andy Warhol assassinator Valerie Solanas died. Considering that Andy Warhol died uh, from a sickness, I think, it was, I think he was recovering from surgery and his heart crapped out on him. Uh, Valerie Solanas, of course, like attempted to kill him. Doesn't make her any better for doing that, but... Is an avid video game collector and gamer. Well, duh. <laughs> uh, no offense, DJ Nurse Annabella. <laughs> just, <laughs> just for the purposes of that of this podcast, that's duh. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, I love one of her personal quotes here. Keep on drinking that high C ecto cooler. Uh, as for the Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater radio show, what exactly is it? Well, it's probably about as free form as you can get. Some episodes of her radio show are available for download as podcasts, and I listened to a few of them, and I'm going to be totally honest, went right over my head, right over my head. <laughs> One of them that I listened to, for example, was, it seemed like there were about 50 minutes straight of just sound bites from various trailers from really, really old B-horror films. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It was very entertaining. I got to say, but I was like, okay, how do you, how do you describe this show? How do you describe what's going on? So I sent DJ nurse Annabelle, I sent lush girl 80, a private message on Atari age and said, Hey, I want to talk about this game on my next episode. Can you uh, give me some talking points on lava lamps and eight track theater? And she said, well, yeah, sure. Here's a, a basic rundown. She says, and I quote, my format is mostly obscure 70s metal with a few modern stuff, B-movies, and celebrity interviews. And yeah, as celebrity interviews, like you heard me say before, she interviewed Tommy Chong. And on her YouTube channel, there's an interview she did with Christopher Knight, a.k.a. Peter Brady, as she did on her show. And when I reached out to her, I said, there's something about the vibe of your show that kind of makes it feel like the old... Uh, AOR format, album-oriented radio format on the FM dial back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. And she says, uh, yes, it is heavily inspired by old AOR radio. And she says, I guess the purpose is to try to be different and crazier than any other radio show mix-wise. I guess that's not for everyone. Some people don't get it. And she, she has something like 1,300 followers, I think, on her YouTube channel. So there are people out there getting it. I strongly recommend giving it a shot, giving it a listen, and uh, see for yourself what's going on. It's it's the most eclectic radio thing I've ever heard. And I guess part of it is because, you know, like I kind of mentioned before, I've done actual radio before, and it's nothing like anything I've ever done or seen. I'm not used to, say, a legal ID at the top of the hour, because this is a, this is a pirate radio station. There doesn't have to be a legal ID <laughs> for that station to... Uh, to run uh it's a violation of the law sure but you know 
and I, I feel like I'm babbling. This is kind of free form in a way, isn't it? Just in the, in the spirit of free radio Santa Cruz and of course, lava lamps and eight track theater in a thread on Atari age about the show. She describes uh, the music as seventies psych. And something that really caught my eye was the very first thing that she ever played was the show intro from an old episode of Son of Sven Gulli, which, of course, I talked about in a previous episode on the topic of yet another Clark Otto Jr. game. So that was quite interesting that there's that connection right there. Let's see, going down the list from her first show, uh, Blue Phantom, Diodo, 1971, Speed, Glue, and Shinky by Mr. Walking Drugstore Man, Cannibal Girls movie trailer clip from 1973, Bram Stoker, Born to be Free, 1972, Samurai King, Rifts and Snowflakes, Part 1, 1971, A Taste of Blood movie trailer clip, 1968, uh, Coven from Black Sabbath, 1969, um, Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater, Gauntlet 2, Bumper, Atari 2600 Haunted House Bumper, Zaxxon Atari 2600 Game Sample, GoGo Sound 71 Inagata DeVita, I'm guessing that's a cover, Pac-Man Atari 2600 uh, Game Sample, Atari 2600 Rainy Day Commercial 1980. So you see just the eclectic mix here. And something about uh, her shows is, at least judging from the, uh, the two or three episodes I listened to, she doesn't really do much talking. And when she does, her cadence is very unusual. It's not conversational, kind of the way I'm talking right now. In fact, here's a little sample of uh, what you will hear on her show. Today we have a special guest. Actually, three special guests. Calling in the show today will be... David Yao. Singer of Scratch Acid and the Jesus Wizard, and Carly just joined Flipper. And also, notice that her voice is kind of overmodulated here. There's a her microphone was definitely in the red zone on the VU meter with that. And what's interesting is the other things that I've listened to from time to time. I've been kind of just tuning into the live stream of Free Radio Santa Cruz. I don't hear anybody else doing that. And one thing that's interesting about uh, what uh, DJ Nurse Annabella does is that she uses vintage hardware on her show. She uses old cassette players, old microphones, and I wonder if that has to do with it. I wonder if it's probably a little bit that and maybe a little bit intentional to kind of give it kind of a uh, a radical sound, if you will. So it's uh, I, I mean, the thing is, like, it's, I'm not saying that the way she broadcast herself is a bad thing i'm just pointing out how unusual it is and uh, it's quite fascinating i really don't know what else to say about the radio show lava lamps and eight track theater the best advice i have for you is give it a listen see what uh, see what you think it's there's just no easy way to describe it no easy way and judging from the atari age thread uh, plenty of people really like it so maybe you will too if you don't already listen but let me stop babbling about her show and Free Radio Santa Cruz. Let me talk about the actual game. Once again, it is designed by Clark Otto Jr., also known as Frank O'Dragon on Atari Age. In the event that you heard my episode about Hollywood Brawler, Scammer Brawler, another Frank O'Dragon title, the vibe that I get from Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater is that it is kind of a more 
advanced version of Hollywood Brawler because it feels kind of the same. It has the same vibe. It is a beat-em-up. It's a side-scrolling beat-em-up, a fight-and-go-right, if you will. And here's the um, description of the game in the manual. Kicking some DJ Bacon, goofy aliens from the planet of Uranus have landed on Earth and have created a bogus hipster radio station called Radio Phalencia. And uh, I heard DJ Nurse Annabella uh, use that term, Radio Phalencia, in uh, one of her episodes, at least one of her episodes Sending brainwashing radio signals of bad music to control all humans and imprisoning all good DJs, these aliens also have created evil DJ piggies to manage their terrible playlists. You must control DJ Nurse Annabella, hostess of Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater, currently airing on Free Radio Santa Cruz 101.3 FM and KXSF 102.5 FM, the only DJ rebelling against the aliens. You must guide her to defeat Radio Phalencia and take over their broadcasts, free all the people, and save planet Earth. So that is the uh, uh, main part of the game. And uh, I do feel kind of bad talking about this so soon because I this is a brand new game. It just came out. I haven't had it very long, and I have spent some time with it, but not as much as I would have liked to. But I can tell you uh, a few things about it from my own experience of uh, it is the same kind of vibe that a lot of other Franco dragon games have. Like the graphics are a little bit on the rough side. The gameplay, however, I have to say is a definite improvement over Hollywood brawler and scammer brawler because the collision detection I think is a little bit better. And uh, it actually does feel a little bit more challenging that you're actually playing a char- a challenging game. Now what you're doing is you're, you're moving to the left, you're moving to the right. And there are, according to the manual, DJ pigs and robot DJs that appear and they want to fight you. You have to either punch them away or kick them away. And if they hit you, you lose hit points. You start with 100 hit points. And of course, you want those hit points to go up. The game is over when you lose all your hit points. And what's really cool is you can replenish your hit points every now and then there will be a pile of weed that appears. Uh, That's what it says in the manual weed in quotes. And of course we mean uh, a certain type of weed, uh, ganja weed, if you will. If you grab one of those, it'll restore some hit points for you. Actually restore significant hit points. And it's not just the same thing. It's not just the same screen over and over. There are different screens for each stage. And at the end of the stages, you're going to find what is described as a killer robo disc jockey. And it says here, defeat it, and you'll be able to pass on to a Japanese soda machine. And I got to tell you, though, uh, defeating the disc jockey, that's going to be a hard thing to do. You're going to lose some hit points in that, but basically button mash your controller and uh, it'll go away. And you have to touch the soda machine, the Japanese soda machine, to go on to the next level. And your hit points are restored at the beginning of each level here. And besides the uh, DJ pigs and robot DJs, there will be some kind of aliens appearing out of nowhere from time to time. And uh, you, of course, have to defeat those characters as well. And uh, long story short, that is the game right there. That's the game. As for my opinion of the game, well, I kind of said it already. I mean, it's still got that kind of rough feel that a lot of Clark's games have. But at the same time, I think he's definitely showing some improvement in his game design and his programming. Something that really disturbed me when I was doing the research for this was there were some pretty harsh comments thrown at Franco Dragon. Like people were calling some of his stuff shovelware. 
And I, I know that's, that's, that's kind of harsh. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of his stuff is not the same kind of quality you'd, you'd get from a lot of other games on the 7,800. But the thing is he's learning and he is definitely improving as time goes on. That's the important thing. It's, it's never discourage people from learning this stuff ever. I'm starting to learn 7,800 basic myself. I hope to uh, do a little bit of homebrewing and see what I can come up with. And I hope anybody listening who has the slightest curiosity about what it takes to homebrew, actually learn, learn something about it. If you're feeling really brave, learn 6502 programming, because I believe that's the processor that's in the 7,800. If you're not quite that brave, but still want to do some programming, learn 7800 basic. It's uh, it's challenging, but it's definitely doable. Definitely doable. But a couple of things that I do have to say about Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater in terms of quality is I have noticed two major improvements in this game. Number one, it's noticeably more colorful than most of Clark's games, which I thought was great. In fact, something that I did notice with... Uh, uh, the game Pickles Eats Everything. I don't have that game, I and all there's available publicly, I think, is a screen cap, but I actually did get a chance to play it at Midwest Gaming Classic, and I noticed right away that it's a lot more colorful. It uh, looks like Clark went back to his original source code for Fat Axel and uh, improved the colors. And one thing I have to say is it is really difficult, at least in my experience, to get the colors right in uh, 7800 Basic. Uh, the graphics, uh, and, and this actually kind of shows in Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater, because when you fire up the console, the logo on the main screen is very hard to read, simply because of the way that uh, the actual Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater logo is. The way that 7800 Basic does graphics is it actually imports ping files, .png files, and I think that the low resolution of those things, once they're imported, really, really affected the logo here, and it's actually kind of difficult to read. Uh, I'll try to uh, get a picture of that and show it to all of you. But that's really the only fault I could actually find with this game. It's a fun game. It absolutely is, and I recommend it. And again, like my kudos to uh, Clark for uh, for his improvements and for getting a lot more color in there. And also, something else that really excited me there are a lot more sounds in this game than his previous games. My personal favorite Clark Auto game still is Roof Pooper. <laughs> and even that one is very, very sparse in sounds. The sounds are very... If you could blink your ears, <laughs> blink and you'll miss it. That's how that's how sparse the sounds are in most of his games. But in Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater, he really went all out and... Uh, got some good variety of sounds in this one so kudos to uh to clark out there by the way speaking of sounds one thing i noticed with my copy at least if i leave the cartridge on past the title screen it makes some really bizarre random sounds but the thing is i didn't know what to make of that i wasn't sure if that was intentional to kind of reflect the freeform nature and uh wild nature i guess of the radio show so i private messaged clark and he said oh you know what no that's a bug i actually already fixed that and he even said do you want me to send you a replacement cartridge i said no 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 it's okay because the game still works it plays fine i can put up with extra sounds on a title screen <laughs> but i really don't know what else to say about lava lamps and eight track theater i know this was kind of a rambling description but 
I recommend giving it a shot. I don't believe the ROM was ever posted anywhere. I don't know if the game is currently available for sale. I got it off of eBay. DJ Nurse Annabella herself was selling it on eBay, and I got my copy from her eBay listing. I think she had like something like 10 or 20 copies available. I got one of the last ones, and you may or may not be able to get one from uh, from Frank O'Dragon if you message him on Atari Age. But that's all I'm going to say about Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater at this point, so now I'm going to turn it over to the listeners. Let's hear what you have to say. In today's feedback, I'm going to start with Atari Age, and I heard from Gambler172, who's usually very, very short. This time he says a little bit more. He says this game is available at eBay or buy it directly from Franco Dragon. I didn't know you could get it directly from Franco Dragon, but yeah, it makes sense. Usually if you ask him, he he will check his stash. And uh, anyway, uh, going back to Gambler172, plays very well but with hard boss enemies. Oh yeah. Yeah. It is some kind of fighting game like Hollywood brawler. I would say it is a good game and worth to be played. Greetings, Walter. Thank you for your thoughts on that, Walter. And, uh, it, yeah, I didn't really think about it, but yeah, the boss characters are pretty hard. They will suck up a lot of your energy. So you got to be careful with that. And I totally agree about the Hollywood brawler thing. In fact, I'm, I would bet that he used the same engine that he used for Hollywood Brawler for Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater. And an email from PJ Steele, who says, To be perfectly honest and upfront, I have never played this game. When I heard that this was the game you were going to review, I went straight to eBay to see if there were any copies available, and lo and behold, there was one copy for sale for around $29 shipped. I would have checked the Atari Age store first, but I knew this wasn't a game that was offered there. Before I spend almost $30 on a game, I have to know a little more about it, so I did some digging to make sure it would be something that would be worth the money. First thing I found was a short video on YouTube of some gameplay. The gameplay looked familiar, as did some of the characters, but it didn't look like anything that I would enjoy playing. It was kind of a side-scrolling beat-em-up with enemies who look like pig-faced humanoids. Also shown was what may have been a main boss character that was scratching on a set of what appeared to be turntables. I mean, it looked totally off the wall. I'm not sure if the character was supposed to be human, an alien, or something else. The game looked so bizarre that I had to do more research. I'm sure you've already covered this, but the game is evidently based on a radio show out of Santa Cruz, California. I decided to check out the radio show that inspired this bizarre game, and I absolutely love the radio show! (laughs) The easiest way for me to explain the radio show is that it's basically a DJ who plays old, sometimes obscure music with different dialogue from different movies, celebrity interviews mixed in with video game sounds. For instance, I was listening to one episode of the radio show, and mixed into a song all of a sudden was a video game noise that I determined was the noise that the 2600 chirps out to celebrate a strike in the game bowling. (laughs) This is just one example. If you're into weird music like Mr. Bungle or any other 80s or 90s California punk, I would check out this show. It's definitely not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but for some, it may be a hidden gem. Then over the weekend, I was playing Roof Pooper, another homebrew that I do like that I was actually fortunate enough to win from this podcast. I had played this game before winning the Patreon contest, and I find the game kind of enjoyable. Strange, no doubt, but enjoyable. Then it hit me. 
The reason why the gameplay of Lava Lamps looked so familiar was because it was programmed by the same game designer, I believe. Which, again, I'm sure you already covered. The weird-looking DJ in the Lava Lamps game resembles one of the pedestrians that you, quote-unquote, target from the rooftop above and roof pooper. So, that is all the information and feedback that I have for this game. I started off thinking there was no way I was going to buy Lava Lamps after viewing the gameplay. But after listening to the radio show, I may end up buying the game. Thanks for the copy of Roof Pooper, and thanks for doing this podcast. It seriously breathes so much new life into my 7800 that is the only console that I have played over the past four months. I'm a huge fan of both this and the Pie Factory podcast. Give my best to Jimmy G, and be careful on that damn bike. <laughs> PJ Steele, PJ, thank you so much. Thanks, that was uh, very kind of you to say. Uh, yeah, it's been um, well over a year since I had any kind of incident on my bike, so I think I'm I'm okay. Uh, I say this uh, minutes before I'm about to head out to work on a uh, eight mile bike ride. <laughs> Breathing life into your 7800 that is seriously um, one of my intentions with this podcast, hoping that uh, it would encourage people to play their 7800 and and real and really definitely breathe more life because the 7800 had such a small library of games. And it's so awesome that there was a, a great homebrew scene going on. And uh, with 7800 Basic, people who normally wouldn't design games were starting to really try. And that's very encouraging. And yeah, uh, going back to uh, when PJ Steele said that he won a copy of Roof Pooper from this podcast, I had a spare copy of Roof Pooper. I was like, hmm, should I sell it off and uh, make a few bucks off it? And I was like, no, nah, that wouldn't be right. So I had a little contest for Patreon sponsors only. I figured these people have been generous enough to donate their hard-earned money for to support this podcast. I should do something in return. And so uh, that's what I did. So if you're a Patreon sponsor, you'll there little uh, things like that will come up now and then. You'll get a little bit extra. And uh, what else do I have to say here? I'm glad you enjoy uh, the Lava Lamps and A-Track Theater radio show. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes, of course. And yeah, it is, it's definitely not for everybody. It totally went over my head. <laughs> uh, I actually had to uh, private message uh, DJ Nurse Annabella about that just to get some uh, uh, deets, as I said before. But yeah, it's definitely unique. Definitely unique. Definitely worth trying. And... Uh, Thanks again there, PJ, for your feedback. And uh, I'm going to do something I usually don't do, in that, and that's going back a bit. Usually I, I cover feedback over previous episodes first, but I'm going to do this one last quite simply because I just simply lost track. <laughs> that's all there is to it. Uh, and I believe there was some feedback I got over Twitter. I don't remember who sent it, though. So uh, I apologize for forgetting who did it. And I couldn't find the tweet when I... Uh, checked the feed uh, just for prepping this episode. But in response to the Mateos episode, somebody commented how the price tag on the Mateos cart looks, uh, well, not that great. And um, I just wanted to respond to that. I did a little bit of research on this, comparing the cost of uh, other multi-carts for other systems. Uh, let's see, for example, there's the Harmony cart, the basic Harmony cart for the 2600, not the, Hom the Harmony Encore that could play bigger ROMs, but the basic regular Harmony cart starts at $59.99 in U.S. dollars, of course. 
The Atari 5200 Ultimate SD is $129.95, as is the ColecoVision Ultimate SD. The LTO Flash for Intellivision is $119. When the Cuddlecart 2 was out, it cost $200. $200. The EverDrive GG for the Game Gear starts at $76.99, and that's just for the board, for the bare board. If you want the complete cartridge, it's going to cost more. The Turbo EverDrive for TurboGrafx-16 starts at $78.99, and again, that's just the bare board. The EverDrive 64 for the Nintendo 64 starts at $106.99. The Super EverDrive for the SNES starts at $85.99. And by the way, I've learned my lesson about cheaping out on that because I bought the starts at price version of it and found out I couldn't play Super Mario Kart on it. I was so upset. Uh, the Mega EverDrive for the Genesis Sega Genesis starts at uh, $48.99. It's pretty good. The Master EverDrive for Sega Master System is $133.99. The EverDrive GBA for Game Boy Advance starts at $98.99. The EverDrive GB for just your standard, regular, everyday Game Boy starts at $58.99. Not, not too bad. The NES EverDrive N8, and of course that's for the NES, as I just said, that thing starts at $117.99. Now, moving on to the Neo Geo carts, the Neo SD MVS is $459.99, and the Neo SD AES is $489.99. So uh, those uh, Neo Geo multi-carts, that's for a complete package. I don't know exactly what's included, but it's more than just the cartridge from what I could tell. Meanwhile, the um, Mateo 7816-in-1 rewritable is 34 euros, which in uh, U.S. dollars as of May 31st, 2018, is $39.79, and that's cheaper than all of the cartridges that I mentioned. If you throw in the burner, which you will need if you don't already have one, that's 26 euros, which right now is $30.43. So put that together, that's $70.12. And from all the stuff that I read, the only things that are cheaper than that are the Harmony Cart, the EverDrive GB, and the Mega EverDrive. So... There you go. I I think I really do think that the Mateos cart is uh, a heck of a good deal. It really is. But uh, all of you who've uh, submitted feedback now and previously and in the future, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I really do appreciate it. Can't believe how fast time flies. It's already the end of the episode, and I'm not going to talk to you again for another two weeks. Wow. I'm going to miss all of you. So, yeah, uh, once again, if you wish to get a copy of the game Lava Lamps in 8-Track Theater, you might want to check eBay because uh, DJ Nurse Annabella herself actually was selling those. And also, you might be able to get one from Frank O'Dragon on Atari Age. In the meantime, though, there are some people that I really absolutely want to thank, so I will do that right now. Thank you, Richard Valdez, PJ Steele, Richard Grounds, Great Offender, Jimmy G, Kyle Etter, Ed Ladin Controllers, and Airshack. Thank you all so much for supporting this podcast over Patreon. And if you wish to participate in that as well, you can go to www.patreon.com slash homebrew78, and that's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. 
You can donate a dollar a month or more if you so desire. Or if you don't want to donate anything, then don't go to that site. See if I care. But anyway, if you wish to reach out to me directly before or during or after the podcast, uh, you can reach out to me at homebrew78 at fab4it.com. And fab4it is spelled F-A-B and then the actual number four and then it.com. If you want to go to the show notes that I keep mentioning every episode, you go on the web to homebrew78.fab4it.com. Twitter handle is homebrew78. YouTube channel is homebrew7800. And you're probably wondering, Sean, what the heck are you going to do in the future? Well, in the future, specifically episode 38, I'm going to go back to some hardware discussion. This time, it's going to be the Ed Ladin products, the controllers, the extension kit, whatever you want to go, whatever Ed Ladin sells, that's what we're going to talk about. And if you have any feedback, of course, please reach out to me via email or Twitter or on Atari age or Atari.io. And I also accept audio feedback as well. Episode 39, by the way, I think it's time I finally get down to business and cover the famous Pac-Man collection and episode 39 will be part one of that coverage because Pac-Man collection will require more than one episode. It will require two episodes. And after that, well, who knows? Who knows? I will give you a little heads up that sometime during the summer, I'm going to do another one of my, what I call burnout episodes in which I just go completely off topic just to give you a little piece of uh, my life as it were. And anyway, so that's uh, today's episode, episode number 37, and I'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks with episode 38. Those of you who bought Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater, thank you so much because you're supporting these hardworking homebrew developers, and they absolutely deserve it, and uh, thank you for supporting me. Bye-bye.